Okay, Power Rangers, let's do it! Go, go, Power Rangers! <laughs> Welcome to the Super Sentai Brothers. This is episode 38 of the Jetman with the Golden Gun, the internet's best and only podcast dedicated to Chojin Sentai Jetman. Each week we watch an episode of the show. We share our thoughts with you, the listeners. My name is Matt J. With me as always is my co-host and brother Dave. Dave, how you doing today? Doing well, man. It's Memorial Day weekend. Got the day off tomorrow, which is great. Happy Memorial Day to uh, to all of you. Yes, yes. Very out there. exciting times. Uh, it's finally warmed up here in Cleveland. Yeah. And like, little... when I say finally warmed up, I mean finally, like, it feels like late spring, early summer every day and not just every other day. Yeah. Although now, now things are getting hot. Things are already warm. This is my first summer without air conditioning in a long time, man. I'm trying to adjust. I was going to say, and it I'm is getting not there. that hot. You are just, uh, not I'm used to it. I'm getting there. I'm not. I'm not used to it. But we'll... Listen, I'll, I'll get there. It'll be all right. It's all good, man. Anyway, actually, speaking of that, Dave. Uh, so today, of course, we're watching episode 38 of Chojin Sentai Jetman. This one is called Sudden Hammer. Uh, but before we get into that, Dave, shining in the heavens, there are five stars. What is our first star of the week? <laughs> so our first star of the week is actually directly related to how hot it is outside and that I don't have air conditioning anymore. So you and I, we went to the, and my wife, Beth, we went to the art museum yesterday. Uh, actually, guys, this, so this heads up, uh, today's five stars are basically just a record of what Matt and I and Beth did yesterday. Like, we're just going to go ahead and walk you through our day. Yep. <laughs> there, there, was a, the, there was a little bit from Beyond Star 2 that happened the day before. That's right. That's right. That's right. Uh, but anyway, so we're at the art museum and we're just, uh, we're having a little, we're having a nosh. And I was sitting there and I was thinking, because I was wearing a linen shirt and linen is very cool, right? It's a very comfortable fabric in the summer. And I said to you and to Beth, I said, so let's talk for a second about linen pants. Like, is this a thing that I can get? Can I just get linen pants? And is that secondary, is that an acceptable thing to wear, seeing as that I am not like a southern gentleman in the 20s? Right. And, and, and Beth's my, like, to which my response was, of course you can. They're, like Wearing linen in the south is because it is hot in the south, but it also gets hot in the north, so I feel like you are allowed to wear that. Yeah, just wear them linen pants. So, <laughs> so don't we also just wear them decided. in November. Right, yeah, that would be, you would want to do that. And so we just said, okay, well, when we're done with this, we're just going to go get some linen pants. So we did that. I'm actually wearing them right now, and they're super comfy. Yeah, I bought a pair of linen shorts, and not only have I never owned a pair of linen pants at all, I have not owned a pair of shorts that were not like gym shorts in... I'm going to call it 10 years. Yeah, I was just going to say like maybe a decade. You're not a shorts. You're not a shorts guy. I am, I am not a shortsman. No. <laughs> not a shortsman. Well, you are from a shorts I, family I, though. I disapproved of the cargo short pretty early on. And the I, shorts listen. that got hardwired into my brain when I was in high school was like, D my dudes, go back and look at what jean shorts looked like in like 2001. And you will know why I gave up on shorts. Listen, dude, I lament the passing of the cargo short. Not because it looked good, 
Not because it looks good. I think you and I and maybe everybody can agree that no human being has ever looked actively good in cargo shorts. Yeah, the best you can say for a cargo short is that it doesn't look bad. Yeah, no one's ever looked at a dude in cargo shorts and said to themselves like, dang, those cargo shorts, though. I need to get some of that dude. Like, that's never happened. Ever. Uh, But I still, I lament the passing of the cargo short because they're a very convenient short. You know what I'm saying? Oh, like, sure. Like, I love those cargo pockets. But, uh, so yes, that was that was a good part of our afternoon yesterday, was <laughs> trying to make that happen, and <laughs> thankfully, we succeeded. Yeah, we totally did. Uh, we totally did do that. So that's it on linen pants. Uh, go get yourself some. Make that ha- Make that a part of your life. You, too, can be an old man. Uh, uh, consider, Matt, you know, consider your pants game, and then consider upping it. And could, yeah, just just up that game. Make that your homework for this week. Up that particular game in this particular part of uh, of 2016. So, Matt, what is our second star of the week? Second star of the week, Dave, is Friday night. I went to night one of the JT Lightning Invitational Wrestling Tournament at Absolutely Intense Wrestling, the local wrestling promotion that I ha- I had been aware that it existed. Okay. Previously, because I had looked it up at some point. I did a flyer um, somewhere or something. Um, I know I know that it exists. I've never gone to a show, but I know that it exists because I used to work with a dude uh, who wrestled with them. Uh, yes. Uh, sadly, uh, your boy Ethan Carter III was not there. I mean, I don't... Listen, I don't know if I would call this dude my boy. Well, okay. uh, <laughs> the guy with whom you used to wait tables. <laughs> right? He's a very nice dude. And he seems to be making a career out of uh, being a wrestling man. So good for him. Yeah, dude. But so how was, so was the show good? Oh, I mean, okay. was this a legit? Yes. Okay. Here's the thing is that, so I knew that there was a local wrestling promotion, but for whatever uh-huh. reason, my assumption was that like the Cleveland wrestling promotion was only people who were in Cleveland, like people did not come here to do things. Oh, so and I just I'm assuming it was from like, your tone you know, of voice, the guy that you saw at the bar who decided that he wanted to try pro wrestling and he gets in a ring once a month. As it turns out, like this not was a legit <laughs> roster. Okay, now hold up. Now, what do you mean by like legit? Like these are dudes you have seen before. You have heard of these people. Uh, some of them are people that I have seen before. Um, like, how do you some- establish legitness? Uh, some of them are, some of them were like retired or like, you know, variously released wrestlers who used to be in the WWE. Oh, no way. That's pretty rad. Yeah. Like there was, um, like, uh, one half of the new age outlaws, the badass Billy Gunn was there. Wow. Oh, wow. I remember that dude's name at least. Yeah, dude. Billy Gunn was a big deal. Uh, Billy Gunn also recently got released from the WWE. Uh, and so now he is wrestling in a high school gymnasium. Uh, but it was cool to see him. Everybody loved it. Like, uh, listen, man, that's the life, right? That's the life. Is you've gotta you gotta go wrestle where the wrestling is. I guess, dude. Um, but it was it was really weird though because there were a couple of older dudes. Uh, he was there. Dan Severn was there, who was also like he was a, a wrestler, but he was also a UFC guy. Yeah, I know that name. And so, like the crowd, the crowd was very weird. Like I could okay. not get it. Like I was enjoying the matches, but could not get a gauge on the crowd. Um, 
Like they were just chilling. Yeah, like, like what's... They, they were very quiet. They didn't seem to cheer the things that were good, and did not seem to boo <laughs> the people who were being like complete dirtbags. <laughs> just missed all the cues. Like, no, guys, that's that's the bad guy. You gotta you gotta boo that guy. Dude, the only people that they were regularly booing were the referees, who apparently they <laughs> hated to a man. Uh, I mean, the referee is never a popular figure in uh, in the squared circle, is he? No, but you would think that, like, the heel wrestler who was, like, spitting in a woman's face would get booed more than the ref who did not turn around to see a guy cheat. Oh, yeah. Yeah, dude. You would, it, was, it was weird. Yeah, you should not places. spit on ladies. That's not a cool thing to do. <laughs> Uh, there, well, the thing is, there were a couple of intergender matches, um, which were all great, and that's generally something. So that's something I'm used to seeing. I see it on uh, Lucha Underground sometimes, uh, but I like it when I see it. Usually, these ones were good matches, but they were really weird because all three of the women lost, and so oh, like, throughout the course a of weird the evening, precedent. it got like increasingly uncomfortable. <laughs> Dude, I love the existence. Sorry, I know this is like a mild divergence, but I love the existence of local wrestling promotions because in a way, it's like a farm team, right? You know, like the Indians have a farm team someplace that they are like training dudes out there and then they're kind of theoretically bringing them into the Indians later, right? right? And local wrestling promotions are like that Sort of, except there's zero, correct me if I'm wrong, like zero affiliation with any larger organization, right? Uh, that is correct. This is just so, like the local group. But like people, so like there were a couple of TNA guys it. who were there. Um, okay. Uh, there was a dude whose name is DJ Z, who is like this Filipino DJ, I guess. Uh, he sure. came out with a face mask that was like a mirrored disco ball with eyes hole, eye holes in it. Uh, amazing that dude was amazing just like in, he was just like a great wrestler yeah uh he wrestled the dude called the laredo kid uh who was a masked luchador and it was just like this awesome high flying like throwing hurricane ranas off the top rope sort of fight <laughs> it was bananas so matt who like who actually won this bad boy uh dave i have no idea who won uh it was a two-night <laughs> thing and i only went to the first night um, I know that the the final match was uh, Raymond Rowe versus uh, Josh Alexander, the walking weapon, Great versus name. a local dude named Alex Daniels, uh, but I don't actually know who won that match. So, um, uh, well, good luck to any one of them. <laughs> yeah. So, but anyway, that is my star this week. Um If you live in a town that has a local wrestling promotion, check it out. It might surprise you by being really fun. Good, good, sounds like good advice. Right on. So, Dave, what is our third star of the week? So, uh, the other thing, one of the other things that you and I and uh, and Beth did yesterday is we hit a new, not like new, new to us, we hit a new Indian rest- restaurant. Oh, yeah, we did. Oh, my gosh. So, uh, it's called Namaste India Garden, and they apparently have like two other locations. Like, there are three total India Gardens and this is the Namaste Indian Garden. They're all, like, all owned by the same dude or something. But this place was, A, it was crazy good. Uh, and I just love Indian food. It was super, super delicious. But that's not actually what I'm going to talk about because you can't go eat there unless you spe- live in Cleveland, in which case, like, totally go yeah, eat you should at totally Namaste go do that. It is in Lake Indian Garden. But, <laughs> so we walk in, and we are greeted by a dude 
who like at first I'm like, is this guy Indian? Because I'd read about the place and it's like owned by an Indian chef, right? Right. And so we're greeted by this dude and I'm like, all right, well, this dude is like a little bit like his skin is kind of dark and his hair is dark. So like maybe he could be, you know, like an Indian who is, you know, who just kind of like very light skin, very fair skinned, right? And then the dude opens his mouth and this dude is 100% from the Bronx, New York. Yeah, like this Not dude that Indians is can't... like Italian with a capital I. Right. And he is like, I swear I was ordering a pizza pie. But the dude is talking about, you know, like goat curry and like a whole bunch of other stuff. And like dude clearly knows his stuff. Oh, yeah. Like dude he had, is like, talking Dude had knowledge recommendations on that menu. Oh, yeah, man. Everything he gave us was delicious. Uh, he was like talking in depth about the recipes and like how everything is prepared. And then I started to be like, well, hold up. Maybe this dude is like, maybe this guy is the chef and it is his place. And he is an Indian from the Bronx. Like that can be a thing that could happen. Right. But then like we kind of got a glance back into the kitchen and everybody else is like South Indian. Right. Right. And so <laughs> there's just this mystery dude who is from the Bronx and lives in Cleveland and is, I guess, like the head waiter of this Indian restaurant. And it was just a very, uh, like, it was a very whiplashy experience. Yeah, it was really, like, it was great, but, like, it kind of kept you on your toes. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, uh, but the food was all delicious. We had like a goat curry, and we inadvertently ordered two appetizers, but they were both great, so that was fine. I finished uh, the, the leftover chicken curry uh, before we started recording today. Uh, we had the rest of the stuff. Just I finished it, and then I came upstairs to record. It was still delicious. We got like a, Beth got a mango lassi, which is like a yogurt drink, and the dude's talking about how they ferment yogurt in the back, like they make their own yogurt. Yeah, my dudes, you should go to... If you find yourself in the area uh, and like Indian food, this place gets our hearty recommendation. Yeah, 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 definitely. So uh, what, Matt? That's it. It was just this great restaurant with a with a weird waiter. Uh, so what was our fourth Star of the Week, Matt? Fourth Star of the Week, Dave, is as you mentioned earlier, we went to the museum yesterday. And the reason yes. we went uh, is that they were having an exhibit about the pharaohs. And it was a joint uh, exhibit... Featuring the collections of the Cleveland Museum Art and a bunch of stuff on loan from the British Museum. Yes. Yeah, it was super cool. I told you about it, and you were like, yeah, that's cool, but I did see them in the British Museum. Which is true. Uh, and then I was just like, that's cool. Maybe don't be a jerk and come see this thing with us. <laughs> uh, I did. It ended up, ended up costing me a lot more money than I had planned on, because for whatever reason, when we all got there, we decided that instead of buying tickets to this exhibit, we were just going to buy memberships to the museum. Well, okay, but I, like a membership is 50 bucks and entrance to the exhibit was 15 bucks. So if you go see, and they have four or five exhibits a year. So, you know, it's ultimately. Hey, man, listen. Ultimately not, makes a lot of financial sense. And, it, and if there's one thing I like to do, it's like to be a member of museums. Yes, it's a cool, it feels good in my heart to have done it's that. Like being a member of a museum and supporting public radio, those are like things yeah, those that are just high... are balm to my white man's soul. <laughs> so we go see this exhibit about the pharaohs and uh and it's super super cool they've got all sorts of like artifacts and you know statues and everything there was one particular statue where whoever set up 
the like little you know like beside everything there's a little plaque like it explains what's going on right oh yeah so it's and there's (laughs) it's the statue of this guy sort of like crouched down like wrapped in a cloak Um, yeah so it's a very it's like sort of a subtle statue right like there's not a ton of detail on this thing but you can tell that it's really super well made like it's really finely polished and all this stuff and there's hieroglyphics on the front and they're just sort of knocked in there And and the plaque next to it is like talking about this statue and talking about how beautiful it is and kind of like what the point of it is and then it says engraved on the front are some surprisingly like low quality hieroglyphics yeah just like the plaque maker really needed to like throw some shade on some like hieroglyphic carver from three thousand years ago yeah, just definitely wanted you to make sure make sure that you knew that these were some low-quality glyphs. Just if there was any question. I was not able to decipher them, even though I did once purchase a book called Learning Hieroglyphics the Easy Way. Is there... I feel like that's a just disingenuous title. Uh, I don't know that there correct. is an easy <laughs> As it turns out, there was not an easy way to learn hieroglyphics. So this does lead me to a question, Matt. We were talking about this yesterday. Uh, because they didn't actually have a mummy, which I was admittedly a little disappointed by. Listen, you always want to see a mummy if there's going to be a right. sarcophagus case. I assume when they did have one, case that is, no mummy, I'm not going to lie, I was a tiny bit disappointed. But that does lead me to the question, how long does a person have to have been dead for before it becomes like culturally acceptable to just go stare at their corpse, <laughs> not only like to, to stare pay admission at it. to look at their yeah, body, but to charge admission. Um, like when does that, that is, become okay? It, it's a weird. That's a weird gray area. It is like a day. Nope. Like, yeah, no. A, if you are, if you year? are charging someone money to see a corpse from yesterday, like either you are a shady mortician or you are like a monster, like a yeah. literal like swamp monster from a movie. <laughs> So, like, it's not a year. It's not even, like, 10 years. I think it has to be maybe, like, like at least 100 years. It's got to either be a very long time or there has to have been a lot of preparation, like, put into, like, the presentation of it. Because, like, Lenin's on display. Mm. And there's the bodies exhibit that, like, travels. Okay, hold up, hold up. Also very I do not... I do not know that I accept the bodies exhibit as uh, as legit evidence because I do not know if those are cool. Like those give me the super creeps. Oh yeah, one hundred percent. And also, there is like some vague thing that like maybe those bodies were not acquired ethically. Yeah, I have heard rumors that I do not care to repeat because uh, I do not know <laughs> of their veracity. But I, uh, yeah, I maybe, choose to not attend that exhibit when it comes to town. Yeah, me neither. Uh, and maybe if like you're like a super famous dude, like Lenin. Like if you're Lenin, then you know maybe there's like a thing that that might be okay. But I'm gonna say it has to be like at least a hundred years, minimum a hundred years before you can charge it. Charge admission to look at some dude's corpse. Okay, so uh, but, listeners, uh, if you are planning on doing that, just make sure you've got your timeline in order. Yeah, 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 yeah. This is a this is a generational thing. You will not be profiting from this. <laughs> uh, but Dave, speaking but, of the pharaohs, I was just gonna say this dovetails really nicely with our fifth star mat, which is X Men Apocalypse. Oh man. Okay, guys, you guys, you guys. Uh, okay, we're not going to talk a lot of detail. We'll talk detail next week. 
Okay, first of all, let me just say, as a preamble, I had a lot of fun at this movie. Dude, okay. I, I would see this, this movie. movie again. I would see this movie again. I don't know if I'd see it in the theater again, but I'd definitely watch it twice. I that feel like being this is said, the sort of movie that I could watch once a year for the rest of my life. Mm-hmm. Like, yes. throw it yep. on I'm comfortable in the saying same that. way that sometimes I'll just, like, toss on, like, an old, like, 80s movie. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that's fair. So, I mean, all that being said, um, this is not a good, this is not a good oh, movie. Oh, no, offense. it's terrible. But, like... No, this is a terrible movie. But, like, the... Oh, I... I've been I've been trying to describe it. I was talking to our sister yesterday about it. I was like talking about it a little bit on Twitter last night. Like it's really bad, and I really love it. Okay, this is what I figured out. I was because th- I was thinking about this because I knew we were going to talk about this. First of all, I feel like watching Super Sentai prepared us a lot for watching this movie because there's a lot of stuff in the movie that they just throw out there and there's no explanation for it and it's never reconciled and you're just like, okay, that's cool. I'm just going to roll with that. And yeah. that's like Super Sentai's thing. And so I, was, I felt mentally prepared. There are characters who at the end of the movie, like, you know, go in a particular direction. And then you realize, like, and you think, why are they doing that? And then you throw your mind back throughout the course of the movie and you realize that, like, that character never did, like, they were in the movie, but I still don't know anything about them. And it's not, like, a mystery that the movie has maintained. They just never, they literally never they, bothered yeah, to tell me zero who this person was or why I should care about them. So this is, here's what I think is going on with this movie. Ready? They don't have a movie. And they never, like, they never actually put together a cogent movie. Whoever was doing this movie just had a whole bunch of ideas for a whole bunch of different scenes that were, like, all vaguely related in the sense that they were about X-Men slash Apocalypse and just decided to throw all those together in a way that was, like, vaguely <laughs> chronological. That, that is very similar to how I have been choosing to describe it, which is that they had one copy of the script, uh, and it got, like, pulled out of their hand by a stiff breeze, and they had to, like, chase down all the pages, but the pages weren't numbered, and some of them got away, and so they tried to, like, take what they had been able to recover and put it back together into a movie, and then just, yes. like, try their darndest to make it work. That, yeah, that makes perfect sense. Because, like, each scene considered individually is, like, pretty decent. There's some pretty good acting. You know, James McAvoy's in it. Michael Fassbender is in it. Like, they're both great. Oscar Isaac is in it. And, like, you can barely Oscar see Isaac him under is all the it. apocalypse stuff. But, like, listen, I've, I've heard a lot of complaints about that. But it's apocalypse. Like, the dude yeah, looks like apocalypse. It, dude. It's great. Yeah. Uh, like, all those dudes are great. And, like, the special effects are really cool. And everybody's costume, with the exception of Psylocke, looks real slick. And then that movie just made zero sense. It made no sense. It's a, it is a Let- perfect movie to be called X-Men Apocalypse. Because, like Apocalypse, <laughs> it's huge and, like, explosive and, like, really... And fun. Like, fun. And when you stop to think about it, it doesn't make any sense. Like, the character of Apocalypse <laughs> in the comics is exactly that way. Okay, let me talk, and then we'll we'll talk more about this later when it's like less spoilery. But I do want to talk about Olivia Munn's costume as Psylocke for like a hot second. Sure. Okay, so her costume looks soup. It basically is identical to the costume that Psylocke wore in the comic books, right? Yeah, throughout the night. Right. Yes, uh, but everybody else has like a very distinct movie style adapted look for their costume. And what I found out 
is that Olivia Munn is like a pretty big, she digs comic books, right? Mm -hmm. You know, cool. I'm sure that was awesome for her to get to be in this movie. But when they were designing cops costumes, she they they had this whole thing for her costume, and she said, "No, I want the costume from the comic books." And they were like, "Well, uh, okay, yeah, sure, Olivia Munn, you can have that," which would have been fine, except nobody else is wearing a comic book costume. I know, like the only two people who look like they look in the comic books are Psylocke and kind of Apocalypse. Yeah. Everybody else looks different. And so here's everybody else rolling around in like celestial technology powered super oh, armor Dave, and Dave, Psylocke. Dave, Dave. Let me stop you right oh, there. No, sorry. The Celestials are not part of the Fox Marvel uh, universe. And so this sorry. just had to like throw in ancient technology and kind of wink at you like, eh, eh, I bet you wonder where this came from, don't you? <laughs> right. Can't this is tell the other. You, but maybe look it up. Is that the existence of Apocalypse is predicated on like a number of other story elements existing, none of which Fox has the rights to. Yeah. So they're just like throwing stuff out there. Uh, but again, man, definitely go see it. Like, I'm not saying you should not see this movie. You should definitely oh, see it. Oh, you should 100% see this movie. Honestly, my only real complaint, not enough blue people. Not enough blue people. Like, Beast was in it, but he wasn't blue nearly enough. Mystique yep. was in it. She was barely blue at all. Yep. Uh, Nightcrawler was appropriately blue, as was Apocalypse, but Archangel is in this danged movie, and Archangel never got turned blue, and they got so close. They did literally everything else. I know. Like, they gave I him know. the metal wings, they gave him, like, that weird, like, the shape of the lines on his face from when he got turned into Archangel. They did yep. all of that stuff, but they it was didn't rad. turn him blue. I don't know. I don't know who was behind that decision, but whatever. By the way, but, uh, listeners, if you know of a place that I can find, like, a blue t-shirt with, like, those pink zigzaggy lines that look like uh, Archangel's costume, let me know, because I suddenly really want to own one of those, and I cannot find one. <laughs> anyway. Just put that put that cry out there. Um. Uh, anyway, Dave, let's stop talking about that and start talking about episode 38 of Trojan Sentai Jetman, Sudden Hammer. We will be right back after this. Hello, Super Sentai listeners. Your friend Brian here with a word from our sponsor. Do you need to design a website? And is that website about reviewing healthy snacks? And do you want to work on your website from your bed? Then call up Casper Squarebox for your healthy snack, website design, comfy bedding needs. Remember, if you call today, we'll throw in an audiobook for free. That's Casper Squarebox. Now, back to our program. All right, welcome back. So, we have just finished watching episode 38 of Jetman, Suddenly Hammered. It's like Suddenly Susan, but with a hammer. <laughs> I forgot the title of that show. Uh, Dave, so what do you think? Uh, man, I feel like I just watched a very short episode of X-Men Apocalypse, <laughs> if that makes any sense. Like, I dug everything that was happening. None of it made a whole lot of sense. Wasn't totally connected, but it was all a lot of fun. So, so here we go. So we, this episode, it's a weird start, man. Yeah, it starts off like as though it is the end of a previously unaired episode. Right. I actually asked you right when we started watching this. I said, "Did we? Did is there something wrong with this video? Did we somehow jump to the middle of this episode?" And you said, "No. This is just." 
this is just what it is. And I love it. This is a two part episode. They just didn't air part one. I love it when they do stuff like this, where they just like start in the middle because it's like, yeah, like the jet men are doing stuff when you're not watching. So like, here's a monster that you've never seen before. Uh, They are fighting it. They've got a whole plan. Uh, It looked like, um, like a antenna, like a satellite dish rhinoceros. Does that make sense? I think that's what it was. Satellite dish rhinoceros. Honestly, it came and went pretty quickly. I did not really catch what it was, but that's just as likely as anything, frankly. <laughs> and I, I love it when they do stuff like this. And actually, you know what show I was watching recently that did a similar thing? was um, I told you I've been watching uh, Power Rangers Time Force. Yeah. And the thing about Time Force is that there are like 40 episodes of Time Force, but there are about 50 episodes of Time Ranger. The Sentai huh. that it's based on. Right, yeah, yeah. And so there are like an extra 10 monsters in Time Ranger that just, just never make it over in... Time Force because they don't need to because yeah. they don't have that right. many episodes. And so occasionally the cold open of an episode of Power Rangers Time Force is them just killing a monster that in Time Ranger there was a full episode about. Oh, yeah, that's really cool, which is, actually. Which is really fun. It's like, yeah, these guys are really busy. They're fighting these dudes all the there's time. A, right, there's a lot of stuff to do. So they defeat Satellite Dish Rhinoceros. And as they defeat it, the biodimensional bug flies off of Satellite Dish Rhinoceros and lands on the ground. Now, this normally would be when the Jetmen... Oh, sorry, when the monster, rather becomes the giant version of the monster. Right. That is not what happens here. Yeah, this time, they pull out, like, a freeze ray, and they zap the thing, and it is now, like, frozen in stasis, and it can't grow. Yeah, they, uh, this is not a thing that they have had in the past. Just to be clear, this is not like a, a, they were like, oh, yeah, it also has a freeze beam. They just bust out that freeze beam and freeze us by a dimensional bug. So they freeze the biodimensional bug, and they capture it. They put it in a metal cylinder, and then we jump over to the Virum dimension. Transa is furious because... Yeah, dude is not happy. He says if they examine the bio... If they're allowed to examine the biodimensional beast, or the biodimensional bug, rather, they will discover its weakness. And if they do that, we're basically finished. Yeah, game over. We will not be able to conquer this dimension. So Maria... Is oh sorry. This scene starts real quickly with Emperor Transa just yelling "vermin" and blasting Maria. Oh yeah, and then he goes into this tirade about the biodimensional bug, and then so Maria turns around to leave. She says, "All right," and he says, "Where are you going?" And she kind of turns around, looks a little nonplussed, and says, "Well, I'm going to go get the bug back. Isn't this the thing that you're upset about? I'm going to go fix it." And he says, "No." It's too late. You'll just screw it up. I'm going to take care of this one personally. Right. I cannot trust and so you he, three to take care of anything this important. Like, this is on me. Right. So he does, like, a throws his cloak around him, teleport, and he's out. Although, weirdly, like, the, the teleport effect is a little slow. And so, like, he throws his cloak up and turns <laughs> around, and there's a half second where he's just, like, standing with his back turns, and then that image fades away. It's... <laughs> It's just long enough to be hilarious. <laughs> Transy, you want to... That's a dramatic move. You ideally... You should be finished teleporting by the time the cloak is is done moving. You that, never want to have like a still sort of cloak. He should have been like practicing in front of the mirror before he really like threw it out yeah, there. Yeah, before you throw down on that move, you really want to have it right. Because if you don't... If you don't get that spot, 
the whole uh, the whole effect is ruined, man. So we come we go to over to the the locker room at a science lab. Yup, and there is a dude. He is a science guy, and he's changing into like a jacket, and he pulls out this golden necklace, and it has a star and some numbers on it, and he just stares at it mournfully, longingly. We don't know what it is. It's just, dude just has a golden necklace. So the old scientist, and therefore the chief scientist, walks in, and he says, hey, man, uh, Yanagi is the young scientist's name. He says, hey, I just heard from Tendo, who it took me a second to remember who that was. It's Ryu. They li- nobody ever calls him that except this one guy, but it's Ryu. So he says, Ryu just called me. They managed to catch a biodimensional bug. They're bringing it over right now, and we're going to study the S out of this thing. Can you work overtime? And the guy is like, yes, absolutely. Let's do this thing. Yeah, we are gonna, we're going to study this guy. It's going to be awesome. So then we get a little flashback. So, oh, sorry, because when the old scientist says Tendo, young scientist, whose name is, I already said is Yanagi, he says, Ryu? And then that whole exchange happens. And then we get this flashback. Turns out, dude is an old friend of Ryu's. Right, before he went into the Sky Force. Yes. So we see that Yanagi is an old rugby friend of Ryu's, and probably a school friend as well. Like, they seem to know each other's lives fairly well, and they had both applied to get into the Sky Force at the same time. Uh, Ryu, of course, was accepted, and Yanagi was not. It turns out... And so he gets, they're standing there, and Yanagi pulls out this same necklace that we have seen. And Ryu says, what, uh, what you got there, what's going on? What you got there? And he says, this is Skyforce dog tags, but they're only a replica. So, like, this Which dude, is a weird thing to have. This dude is, like... He's like full on swim fan about Sky Force. Right. Like, he is his own friend's, like, weird, weird super fan. Uh, which, first of all, isn't Sky Force is. I guess it's not that secret. In my head, it was sort of like the semi secret project. Well, but I you, guess Dave, not. I think you might be conflating Sky Force with the, J- the Jet program because the Jet program was within oh. Sky Force. Remember, prior to yes. doing that. Ryu and um, uh, Maria, or Rie at the time, Rie, right. were both like super cops within Sky Force. So that's I right. No, that I totally, the, I totally was doing the timetable. This is so. But again, dude, this is a weird thing to have that you just have replica dog tags. I don't know, dude. It's okay, so like Yanagi starts out at level ten. Weird. Yes, just. Just to let you know. So, the jet, we, we flash back to the present, right? And the Jetmen arrive, and they've got, you know, they have this bug. And, so, and Yanagi turns to Ryu, and he says, I envy you, Ryu. You've got great results as a Jetman. Like, you're doing all sorts of cool stuff. And Ryu, because Ryu's a great dude, he's like, no, Yanagi, you're the best. He's like, you're super great. You get to hang out here. You're doing really important research. I'm glad that you're here. This is awesome. Like, Yanagi and Ryu, best friends for life. 
Right. Like you're doing the thing that you were meant to do. I'm doing the thing that I was meant to do. And together we are going to like solve the riddle of the biodimensional bug and take down the virum <laughs> forever. Like bro right. time, let's go. Mm. They don't fist bump, but like in their hearts, they, they heart bump well, okay. is what happens. Well, okay, you heart bumps, Yanagi right. is still like... Yanagi leaves him hanging. Yanagi's scheming. So he picks up this bug. Uh, and they, so they, they like, the TED scientists like extract something out and they're looking at it under a microscope. And he says to Yanke, he says, hey, you got to get this back in cryostasis or whatever, because it's going to wake up and then it's going to be a problem. So Yanagi has this bug and he's carrying it over to another table. And he says, if I could, I could use this bug. Like if I could use this bug, somehow I would achieve nebulous success well, in some way. Well, what it is is he doesn't want to like use the bug like the virum use it. Like he's not looking to make a monster. He wants to take it and do the research on his own so that he can be the one to like have the breakthrough and be the great scientist. That's yeah, okay. That comes out later, but at first I was pretty convinced that this dude was straight Hank Pym. Oh, really? Yeah, I really thought he's, I'm like, dude, he's going to use the, he's going to put the bug on himself. He's going to put the bug on something else and like help defeat it. Like he is going to do some weird thing with this biodimensional bug. It turns out you're right that he is, he just wants to solve the problem by himself. But I thought this was going to get way more nefarious. So outside, the rest of the Jetmen have established a perimeter. Um, unfortunately, it is difficult to defend against the monster that is coming to attack them. Because he is an invisible chameleon monster. Yes, Hammer Chameleon. Yeah, okay, so Hammer Chameleon is amazing because he's in, he can become invisible, and one of his hands is a giant hammer. He also has nails coming out of the top of his head, yes. which is kind of a neat thing. Dude, Hammer Chameleon is a great look when you can see him, which is not often because he's invisible. Now, here's the great thing about when Hammer Chameleon is invisible, is the way that they do this to like show the hammer coming out of nowhere to hit is like, there will be a dude and there's sort of like a, the camera will be focused kind of tightly on him, right? Mm -hmm. And then all of a sudden, this giant hammer will just come off screen and bonk them on the head. <laughs> <laughs> and like, everybody gets it. So Hammer Communion shows up. He takes out Raita. That's like step one because Raita's at the front door. We flip back inside and Yanagi has switched out the case with the bug. And to be clear, the case that they're keeping the biodimensional bug in is not tiny. No, I'm going to call maybe, it... It's, like, it's capsule shaped and it's maybe... What do you call it? What? Three times the size of a football? Yeah, yeah, I think that's fair. It's like an extra, extra large rugby ball. Yeah. Convenient that they played rugby together. Oh, yeah. If you don't think that's going to come up, foreshadowing. you are wrong. Yeah, you're super wrong. So, but he switches out the containers because they've got like an empty one, I guess. They've just got a bonus cryostasis container lying around. So he switches out the one with the bug in it with with an empty one, right? Yes. Now, And says to himself, I can create a new theory. This is amazing. So as they are doing this, like the science, the old man scientist is talking to Ryu about how something that he's just discovered in the biodimensional bug is... He says, Matt, that they have a perfect living creature composition yes. and therefore are immune to disease. Immune to all disease. So they're like, oh, this is great. Not only can we like defeat the virum, but we can cure all disease with this. I guess. 
That the, yeah, sure. I'm sure that that's a thing that we can do. Yeah, right? man, why not? Why not? Just get some like dimensional bug juice and rub it on your wounds. Everything will be great. <laughs> Nothing could possibly <laughs> Guys, go wrong. This is maybe. This is maybe. This is how the virums start. Maybe you should think about this. But we don't. We don't get this far into this theory. Don't worry about it. But and I uh, so Hammer Chameleon attacks, but like he's still invisible. And so what they think at first is that it's just an earthquake. And so the head scientist says, there shouldn't be earthquakes in this area, which is a weird thing for anyone who lives in Japan to say. Just throwing that out there. And then Hammer Chameleon attacks. So Yanagi and uh, Ryu are running away from this guy. And as they do it, like, um, Yanagi has the case, right? And Ryu says, like, oh, pass it to me. And they do, like, their old, like, running rugby pass, like, underhanded toss thing that we had seen in the flashback. Yes, as they are running down the hallway away from Hammer Chameleon. So Ryu sort of, like, pulls away and, like, is trying to draw Hammer Chameleon away. And as they do this, like, Yanagi is now sort of in the clear. And he... Okay. He ducks down behind behind a a bush. Reaches into his lab coat... And pulls out the other container, which I just, again, I want to remind you and cannot stress enough how large this thing is. It's fully half the size of his own torso. Yeah, and it was, and like, we saw him a moment ago, and like, there was just, like, it was clearly not there, and then it was. Like, he was just sneaking this giant metal, like, lump under his robe, and it just... Like, there's just, there's no way, there's no way whatsoever that this dude could, A, hide this thing, and B, how is he carrying it? Yeah. He doesn't have, like, a harness. It wasn't, like, stuffed he just into had it, his like, belt or anything. It is backpack-sized right. minimum. So, okay, but regardless, he's got this thing, okay? Hammer Chameleon is not fooled by the fact that he does not have, like, that Ryu has a fake container. He can smell the bug or something. And so he attacks Yanagi because he's trying to get that bug back. Oh, because by this point, he has attacked Ryu. Ryu has dropped the empty empty case and has discovered that the case was empty. Yes. And he is very confused. Sorry, and that's when Hammer Chameleon attacks Yanagi. Ryu runs up and kind of saves him and... But they do have like a very brief conversation where he says, why were you the one that was being attacked? Also, what has happened to the biodimensional bug? We need to find that guy. Because like that's the whole point of everything we're doing right. here. Like we need to find this stupid and bug. Yanagi doesn't really respond. He just like stares at him guiltily. But in this moment, uh, Hammer Chameleon attacks again. Yep. Uh, and it's this really great sort of mid-episode fight because it's just Hammer Chameleon versus... Ryu, Ryu. Ryu beats him, like beats him fair and square. Like he cuts off his hammer hand and the dude tries to hide from him, but apparently doesn't know that the beak smasher has like homing technology and can find him even when he's invisible. And so he just like- Yeah, dude, that has come in real handy a number of times. I feel like they should definitely try to keep that one a secret. Yeah. So like he just absolutely murders this thing. Like it tries to get away, but he tracks its blood trail- to, like, find it and kill it. Like, it's... Ryu does a wonderful job. I'm very proud of him. Uh, Yanagi is probably pretty jealous because he sees his old buddy being, like, a cool superhero. 
Yep, that is uh, that is the thing. And you might so, think that that is the end of the episode, but in the course of the fight, the canister that still contained the biodimensional bug was knocked into the lake. Also, Hammer Chameleon's hammer hand was knocked into the lake. Remember that for later. Right. So, we kind of flip back, and uh, Ryu is sort of looking into the lake. Yanagi is still looking very guilty. Hasn't said anything. <laughs> Just, like, very obviously has done something wrong and knows it and doesn't want to say. And Ryu is either the chillest dude ever or he himself is so incapable of, like, deceit and injustice that he just doesn't even know what it looks like on somebody else. Yeah, like, it just would not have even occurred to him that his friend would lie to him. So, everybody uh, shows up there. We get a quick shot of the hammer and the bug underwater, and the bug kind of crawls over and attaches itself to the hammer. We don't see anything else, but that is so clearly this monster is coming back. Right. Which, again, throws into question what exactly the biodimensional beasts are and like what, how you can define their identity. It's, it's an unsettling question, uh, and we do not get an answer to it today or probably ever, I would right. guess. Because if you murdered me and then reanimated my hand, it, I, like, I don't think that it would become a new version of me, but that is clearly what is happening in this case. Yeah, I actually was expecting that we would get, man, I don't know, like a uh, like a fish hammer. Like, I thought they were going to switch up the bio part of it and just keep the hammer, but they don't. We just get Hammer Chameleon back. They've only got so many costumes, Dave. So, uh, we, well, maybe if they hadn't thrown away satellite dish rhinoceros so quickly, we wouldn't be in this problem, would we, Trojan <laughs> Sentai Jetman? But we go back above the lake, and the rest of the Jetmen have arrived, and they're sort of looking around and trying to figure out what's going on, and Tranza shows up, and he says... Ha ha ha, you dumb jerks. You have lost the biodimensional bug. You'll never figure out its secret now. And Hammer Chameleon is alive, and now he's going to kill you. And so the, the invisible hammer comes out of nowhere to bonk the scientist on the back. Which, yeah, totally happens. And Yanagi splits. So Ryu says, like, hey, guys, you look out for the scientist. I'm going to go after Yanagi and make sure he's okay. The old scientist. Yeah. So, Yanagi is running. He runs off screen. Ryu chases him. They finally catch up to each other uh, outside of the genetics research laboratory, which is where this whole thing has been happening. By the front door, on the sidewalk, next to the driveway. Again, please remember that. Yes, yeah, yeah, yeah. That location is super important. So, Ryu goes to kind of like, I don't know, grab Yanagi or shake his hand or sign. I don't know exactly what he's trying to do. But Yanagi says, no, don't come in brackets, any closer is what I assume he's supposed to be trying to say. Right. But all he says is, don't come. Ryu is very confused, and Yanagi admits what he's done. He says, you don't, he says, no, I took the biodimensional bug. That's why Hammer Community was trying to attack me and not you. Ryu is totally flabbergasted. He does not know how to process this information. And Yanagi sort of goes on. He's like, dude, listen, uh, we've been friends for ages, but you are better than than me at literally everything like at sports yeah. at school at like like i am just second fiddle all the time and i just needed to have something that was my thing that i could be the best at like go yeah, ahead so and that's... think badly of me i know you hate me already because like 
he has a negative opinion of himself to the degree that he thinks that other people have that same opinion of him. It's hard, man. It's hard when you get down on yourself like that. It is, man. It's. I mean, that is but a Ryu- legit hard place to be in your life. Um, <laughs> and Ryu is like, dude, I, uh, like, no, man, you're great. Like, I have no idea what you're talking about. And Yagi says, like, don't lie. Like, I know you say you don't, but you hate me. Which, and Ryu just, again, has no ability to process this information. He's like, what? We're best buds. He doesn't say that, but you can see it in his face. So... In this moment, like, they hear Hammer Chameleon ap- approaching, and uh, Ryu, like, throws Yanagi out of the way and takes the hit and tells Yanagi to run. And so now Yanagi's running away, and he finally realizes, like, I did all that, and I just said all that to this dude, and he still is willing to, like, take the hit for me. Like, he, like, like I must be wrong. Both yeah, about he him must and really myself. be. Yup, he must really. Captain America really must be Captain America. Basically, right. you know, so he, he like he turns around. He has like this hero moment. He turns around and Ryu says like, no, dude, run. And Yanagi says like, no, I'm, you know, he, he, he doesn't say this, but he says it like in his head. And he has a little flashback to the rugby field where Ryu is like, he tosses him the ball and he says, Yanagi, do it. Like, you can do it. You can get to the goal line. So Yanagi... We flash back to the present, grabs a fire extinguisher that is literally just sitting on the ground. Yes. Oh, like it's. <laughs> and by this point, like a bunch of Grinham soldiers have approached and they are running towards him down the sidewalk. Yes. So he has this. He has a fire. I, I have no idea why this thing is even supposed to be here. I also don't understand why he has a fire extinguisher. But he carry, he picks up this stupid fire extinguisher like a rugby ball and just starts running through the Grinham soldiers. And it's sort of flashing back between like him running and Ryu getting beaten up, but like there's nothing there. So it's just pictures of like an invisible person like flipping him around, which is just Ryu jumping around and pretending to be hurt. And Yanagi trying to get to him. Now, at this like, point, let me be Yanagi just real, real clear. Has magically teleported to the middle of an extremely long field. Yes, and to be clear, he was no more than like maybe fifty yards away from him. Yeah, and so, but this whole time he's been running. So the only thing I can think of is that is that Hammer Chameleon and Ryu have had like a very acrobatic <laughs> fight, and it's just covering a lot of distance, and they are literally fighting each other over distance faster than Yanagi could run, and it is just taking Yanagi all of this time to catch up with right, them. Right, he's not trying to get back to where he left them. He is literally chasing them all over the property. <laughs> So he finally catches up with them. He finally catches up with him. And now we figure out why he has this fire extinguisher. It's because it's one of these, it's one of the foam jobs. And so he sprays this foam all over Hammer Chameleon and on the Grinham soldiers. Uh, Grinham soldiers are apparently deathly allergic to foam. Yes, because those dudes disappear. Yeah, they leave. There was like a hundred of them and they're gone now. But he sprays it all over Hammer Chameleon, and this is enough. It's like throwing flour on the Invisible Woman. It's enough to sort of coat him, and now you can sort of see where he is, regardless of his phasing ability. Not phasing. 
cloaking ability. Right. So now Ryu can fight him. Yes. And he says, Yanagi apologizes. He says, Ryu, I'm so sorry I did this. Ryu says, dude, it's cool, but you probably should get out because things are about to get real. So Yanagi bugs out. Ryu gets caught in Hammer Chameleon's tongue because, of course, Hammer Chameleon has a giant, like, tongue. We just haven't seen it yet because he's a chameleon. And so, like, he, so he, he wraps Ryu up in the tongue and Ryu, instead of trying to escape from it, cross changes. And when Hammer Chameleon pulls him back towards, like, you know, the... Himself. Yeah. Sorry, I got a little lost in the pronouns there. It's a tough one. It's cool. Uh, so when Hammer Chameleon pulls him towards himself... Like, Ryu just cold cuts his tongue off like an ice-cold boss. Yeah, and then, <laughs> and then he actually, he just punches him. He doesn't even, like, it's not like a wing gauntlet or, like, any special thing. He just jacks him in the chest, and he yells, wing punch, while he does it. This is apparently enough. Uh, he goes down. He explodes Sorry. and goes down. That's right. Hammer Chameleon explodes, goes down. And then he goes giant. The other Jetmen show up. They summon Jet Garuda. Now, you would think that a giant invisible hammer chameleon would be a big problem. But, conveniently, Bird Garuda has, like, magic scanning eyes. Oh, yeah. It is called Garuda Searcher. And, he, and they, like, they were just, they were so ready for this. Yeah. Like, he goes invisible, and they're looking around for a second, and Ryu just says, activate Garuda Searcher. Like, we have something just for this. And then we get an outline of Hammer Chameleon, and he's right there. And then they just, uh, they just Garuda blast. I was him. gonna say I don't even remember what they used to murder him. They just like kill the dude. Yeah, there's some clawing or something, but they just they Garuda blast him out of their chest. Like that's it. And that's it. That's it for Hammer Chameleon. We do not see anything else from Tranza. He's apparently decided he's called this whole... No, no, no. He was like, cool, this is good. I got the biodimensional bug back. You guys had to fight Hammer Chameleon. We'll try oh, again. Oh, yeah. There, by the way, I, I now that I'm looking at my notes, we did miss a separate fight between Tranza and Red Hawk. Oh, yeah. yeah it's not actually like super intense. It's just they fight. Th- there's and a couple of Ryu fun does- moments where like Ryu shoots him with the beak smasher and it homes in on him and then he like knocks it away, but then it homes back in on him. <laughs> I'll say one thing about uh, Ryu that. Ryu does a lot smasher. better. It is relentless. Yeah, uh, he Ryu does a lot better this time, but that's basically like you know, there's like a sword fight. It's not super interesting. So that's it, and we we go back down, and every they're back at the Genetics Institute research, right, or Genetic Research Institute thing, and the old doctor is saying we're so close, we were so close to discovering the secret, and Ryu is astonishingly nonchalant about it. He's like, ah, eh, don't worry, we'll get you another one. Yeah, we'll, we'll, we'll catch another one. It'll be like, cool. We'll just pop down and to then, the frozen biodimensional store and grab you a fresh one. And so Yanagi, he turns to Ryu and he says, Ryu, he's like, I kind of get it now. I'm super sorry. And he pulls out the replica dog tags from Sky Force and throws them away. Which is a good, I feel like that's a healthy step for you to have taken, right. he, Yanagi. He has now accepted that, like, he is a scientist, and he doesn't need to hold on to, like, this weird thing this, that he had thought he wanted yeah, to Yeah, this super weird thing that he's... And so he turns, and, like, he's gonna say something to the doctor. I have no idea what he's supposed to I say. I think that he was and gonna Ryu fess just, up. Yeah, maybe. And Ryu kind of gives him, like, the head shake. He's like, no, 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 don't do that. Like, it's cool. Uh, 
because, which is probably good, because there is no conceivable way that Yanagi would be permitted to still be working on this project. Regardless, if he's like, oh yeah, I did screw up. I had a big change of heart, guys. Never going to do that one again. For sure. Super promise. Like, that is very cool. You can think about what you have done in prison forever. <laughs> right. Uh, so Ryu's like, he's like, no, 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 man. Don't, uh, don't mention that. That's cool. And then he, Ryu and Yanagi just run out into the yard playing pretend rugby. Yeah, I want to be like very tossing, clear about this. Tossing back and forth a non-existent rugby yeah, ball. They do not have anything. They are just like passing the air in the shape of a rugby ball. And, and then I think Ryu does tackle Yanagi no, once Yanagi, Yanagi has possession Ryu. of the ball. Oh, my bad, my bad. But yeah, he tackles Ryu for possession of uh, of the imaginary ball. And then that's the end of this bizarre episode. So, Dave, that, that's the end of this year episode. What was your high point this week? My high point, I think, has got to be just hammers coming from off, like giant hammers coming from off screen and just bonking dudes on the head. And what's Because what's great about it is, you know, they're getting hit with this thing, physically hit with it. And so it can't obviously be anything rigid, but if, if you look at the hammer by itself, you could maybe be convinced that it's metallic. Sure. But when you hit someone with it, it becomes very obvious that this thing is just foam. And it's just like bouncing off of them. <laughs> and the thing that yeah. it's on, like the thing that is meant to be his arm, like since it has to come off screen, it's on this like super long pole. Yeah, and it looks nothing like his actual hand. But that's my high point. It's just a <laughs> this great motor and never comes out of nowhere. Uh, how about you, man? Uh, my high point has got to be Yanagi's just like weird, obsessive fanboy relationship with the Sky Force. Like when yeah, I saw in the flashback moment. that he had like a fake dog tag for an organization that he failed to get into that he carried for years, like... Boy, like, oh dude. boy, I knew I was in for something special with this dude. <laughs> and what about your low point? My low point? Oh, man. I don't even know if I have one, aside from the fact that Yanagi is just like level 10 weird. Yeah, that is something that can effectively function as a high point and a low point. <laughs> right. Like, it's a real catalyst for the episode, but as a dude, uh, it's just like, man, Yanagi. You uh, you gotta get yourself right, dude. That's not a, that's no way to live. <laughs> yeah. How about you, man? You got a little point for this one? I mean, honestly, it like you said, it's a little hard to pick one for this episode. It's just kind of disjointed, as you said earlier. Like, it's tons of fun. I really like this episode, but like, boy, it it moves. It moves a lot, and it doesn't always move in the same direction. <laughs> Uh, and that, I think, unless you've got anything else. I think, no, man, I think that's it for us. I think that is going to do it for another episode of The Jetman with the Golden Gun. Before we finish up here, I'd like to remind you all that you can email the show at supersentibrothers at gmail.com. If you want to get any updates on future episodes or check out what we're talking about on Twitter, we are at Bros. If you like the show, and boy, I hope you do, please remember, shining in the iTunes review section, there are five stars. Rate, review, subscribe on iTunes. That's what's going to help new people find the show. Uh, the Super Sentai Brothers are a production of Retrograde Over Radio. Once again, we are the Super Sentai Brothers. I'm Matt. I'm Dave. Haha, we got it this week. We'll see you next week. <laughs>